Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So uh, tonight, I want to start out by telling you stories. Um, how many of you all, um, you can just raise your hand, how many of you all have a crazy neighbor? Now I'm watching, where's Alex? Hope Alex doesn't have his hand up because I'm his neighbor. <laughs> but um, we have other neighbors too, don't we, Alex? But um, I, I want to tell you a crazy neighbor story, um, and then we're going to talk about our neighbors. Uh, April and Addison and I moved into a new house about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, moved right across the street from Alex, which is pretty cool. But um, we just moved in. It was a long day. If you've ever had to, how many of y'all have had to move before? You know how like stressful that is and how tiring that is. So we had moved, and it was a, couple, a day or two after we'd moved, and we were so tired that we went to bed really early. Well, we thought it was really early. And um, at about midnight, we were woken up. And it's one of those things, you can't, you're not sure if you're dreaming or not. You, you ever had one of those like out-of-body experiences, you don't know if it's a dream or not. And I just hear this, these show tunes being sung. And these show tunes, and I'm like, is there, a, is there a phone that was like left on or something? Is Addison's iPad somewhere in a closet playing? And I kept listening, and I kept listening. April woke up, she heard it too. We're like, what in the world? And it sounded like it was coming from outside. So look out my window, and my neighbor, not Alex, <laughs> this is a different neighbor, my neighbor is, on the, is walking around his pool at 12.30 in the morning, singing at the, top of his, like, at the top of his lungs in this vibrato voice, show tunes, and we can't get back to sleep. So I was like, how do you politely tell somebody to shut up? So I just knocked on my window, or not, I banged on my window really hard, and he like looked up, and he was quiet for about 30 minutes. Then at one in the morning, we're awoken by show tunes again, and I hate to say it, but my patience wore very thin, and if you know me very, yeah, most of you have never seen me blow up, like yeah, a couple of you have, but I rarely blow up. My patience was very thin, and so that was the final straw, so I marched out of there, you know, threw some clothes, you know, threw a t-shirt on, marched out there, and I just unloaded. I was like, it's one in the morning. You need to shut up and go inside. <laughs> and uh, haven't heard any more singing after that, but I really feel, of course, feel bad after that, you know, because I'm supposed to show the love of Christ to my neighbor. So we're, we're working on it, you know, we're working on it. He's a, he's a tough nut to crack, um, and I didn't get off to a really good start, but we're working on it. So maybe you've had a, cra- any of y'all, have, you've had a, you have some weird neighbors that live by you. You know, you've got some stories too, right? So Jesus gave us this command, and the command was to love your neighbor. So how do you love a guy that's singing show tunes at 1 a.m. when you're trying to sleep? That's tough. Um, but we're going to be talking tonight about loving your neighbor because we've been talking about our spiritual vital signs. That's why we have the bed, and we kind of have this set up like a, like a hospital room because we're talking about what are the spiritual vital signs. And sometimes we measure our vital signs the wrong ways. Remember, we measure, have I been on a mission trip? Do I go to church every week? Do I um, help in VBS? Um, do I have like five Bibles at my house? Are my parents Christian? And all those things we think make us more spiritual, but really God's measuring stick, God's vitals that he measures if we're spiritually healthy or spiritually mature are different. And there are really three vitals 
that measure our spiritual health and our spiritual maturity, and they all have to do with love. And the first one is to love God, and we talked about that two weeks ago, that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that's when we remember John took my blood and, and, and almost passed out, and that was fun. The next, one, the next one, we talked about it last week, the next one is love one another. So you love God, you love one another. This should be a place where love is exchanged every week. This should be a place where we are concerned for each other, we look out for each other. Remember last week we learned love is patient and kind. And then there's a lot of things that love isn't, but love is patient and kind, and we need to show patience, we need to show kindness to each other that are in our youth group, and specifically to the people that are in our tag group. And tonight we're going to talk about the third command, and it's love your neighbor. So Jesus said it like this, he said in Matthew 22, he said, um, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, and the second command, the second most important command is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, by this, man, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another, meaning Christians loving Christians. So love God, love one another, love your neighbor. Love God, upward love, love your neighbor, or excuse me, love one another, inward love, love your neighbor, outward love. So tonight we're going to talk about what is it like to love your neighbor. Now, my love for my neighbor, Jesus' command, is not limited to my, yeah, I've got two people that live close to me. Alex is one, he lives across the street, um, and then I've got my show tunes neighbor that lives like just right next to me. Um, so when God says love your neighbor, does he mean I just need to you know, love Alex and his family and love my show tunes neighbor? No, because Jesus told this parable, you've probably heard of it, it's called the Good Samaritan. And he told that parable to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And that parable pretty much says, Jesus pretty much says, your neighbor is anybody that you, you come in contact with, anybody you rub shoulders with, anybody you encounter. So that, makes, that means a lot of people are my neighbors, right? God says to love your neighbor. Why are we supposed to love our neighbor? Is because God left us here to be his representatives for people that don't know him, for people that are lost, for people that are unsaved. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to do. So the question I want to ask you tonight, and I want you to think about, is who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? So you need to ask yourself the question, who's my neighbor? So I want you to think about that. Not just who lives next to me, but who are the people that I see? Who are the people that I run into? Who are the people that I see on a daily basis? Some of the people you see on a daily basis bring a smile to your face. Some of the people you see on a daily basis bring a roll to your eyes. And um, some, of the, you know, some of the people you see on a daily basis bring loud, strong, angry words to your mouth. Um, but God says, Jesus says, we're supposed to love them all. Why? Because we are literally their only hope. Now, I know ultimately Jesus is their only hope, but he left us with the message. So we are, we are their only hope. We are the ones that are supposed to deliver the message. So who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor and how do you love them? How to love your neighbor is what we're going to talk about. And the, the, um, the verse we're going to look at, it's in Matthew 9. And this is going to be a two-part lesson. I, I made this, like, it, we're going to do part one tonight and part two next week. I made part one really short because I want us to get into our tags for the first time, really, um, with, with plenty of time to just kick back and enjoy our tags. So, um, so we're going we're gonna to finish the lesson a little early so we can go into tag early. Um, but Matthew, Matthew 9, we're going to look at verses... 35 through 39 tonight, and then we're going to start in chapter 10 next week because it's all kind of one story. So a little backstory on Matthew 39. Jesus um, was healing a lot of people, and he was speaking to a lot of people. Wherever Jesus went, like, crowds surrounded him. I don't, you know, some of you, may, maybe you kind of have that effect. You're kind of a natural-born leader. Wherever you go, people follow. That's, that, was never, that was never the case for me. But wherever Jesus went, people followed. 
And he had this huge crowd of people because they are all like, oh, I heard Jesus could heal my you know, arthritis or Jesus could you know, take care of that nasty foot fungus I've accumulated on my big toe. And you know, you know, Jesus can, can make the lame walk and Jesus can make the blind see. So I want to get to Jesus. I want to take, my, uh, I want to take my, my friend to Jesus. I want to take my great aunt Ethel to Jesus because like, you know, he can do it. He can. So he's got all these people surrounding him. And this is what it says in verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers or workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is healing all these people, and then he looks, and he's thinking, you know, Wow, I've healed, you know, Jesus healed 20 people. That's incredible. Then he turns around and he sees 20,000 people behind him. And Jesus has this realization, which he's God, but he's also human. He, he looks and he's, he, he, he wrestles with this fact that as a human, he can only touch and he can only heal a select number of people at a time because he put himself into a human body. He can only touch so many people at a time. And yeah, he healed 20,000, but he healed 20 people, but there are 20,000 more. And he sees all these people that need help. And it says that he was moved with compassion. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, you see all these people? You need to pray that God sends, that the Father sends somebody to reach these people. So what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to reach out to people? Um, Everything about this is that we're supposed to do what Jesus did, right? Um, And it starts with, it starts with, I love my neighbor when I go where Jesus went. Um, I got this picture here of, uh, yeah, it's the I-64. This is the West End um, exit, some of you. Any of you, you take this exit on a daily basis, a couple of you? Okay. Um, our area is kind of like a small, it's kind of small potatoes compared to, you know, you go into a big city, you realize, wow, you know, West Virginia is a lot smaller <laughs> than I realized. Um, <clears throat> when we think of Jesus, we think of somebody who had a worldwide impact. We think of God coming to earth and having a worldwide impact, and we think, I could never do that. I've got like five friends, and like two of them are my brothers. <laughs> So, you know, I know we're supposed to reach the lost, but, you know, I don't have any friends, so it's kind of hard to reach people if you don't have any friends, and you have this, like, very small sphere of influence. You know what's so interesting about Jesus? For somebody that had a worldwide impact, most scholars believe that he never left a 50-mile radius surrounding his hometown during his ministry. Jesus was from Nazareth in the area of Galilee, so that would be like the radius between Huntington and Charleston. Think about that. We think of Jesus, and he did, no doubt, change the world, but he changed the world within a 50-mile radius. What else is interesting about Jesus is that when he changed people's lives, it was never in spectacular places. He changed the life of an adulterous woman at a well. He changed the life of Zacchaeus underneath a sycamore tree. He, He wasn't going long distances. He wasn't working in spectacular places. But you know what else we learn about Jesus? Most scholars believe if you, if you calculate the trips that he went on that are documented in the Bible, that Jesus traveled over 3,000 miles on foot in the three years that he was in ministry from, when, from age 30 to 33. So he never left a 50-mile radius, but he walked over 3,000 miles. So what does that tell us about Jesus? He didn't go far, but he went a lot of places. He met a lot of people. And some of us, we think, well, yeah, I'm just a, you know, not to steal from the Dukes of Hazard. I'm just a good old boy. 
You're too young to remember that show. But yeah, I'm just a good old boy from West Virginia. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a middle school girl in West Virginia. I get like 10 likes on Instagram, and nobody is going to listen to what I have to say, and I can't reach people. Jesus went to unspectacular places. He didn't go very far, but where he went, he made a big difference. So you, you don't, maybe you don't have a big sphere of influence. Neither did Jesus at the beginning, but here we are thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away from Galilee, 2,000 years later, and what are we all here doing? We're all here worshiping Jesus. So when you go where Jesus went, that means you go, you, know, you go where you are. You, know, you start with your family. You go to your friends. Um, you use opportunities that we have and that we provide you, like the Huntington High football team tomorrow, like Hot Pursuit on Monday. And if you, if you want to reach, trust me, God will give you people to reach. You want to reach, God will give you people to reach when you just start going where Jesus went. Next thing, I love my neighbor when I see what Jesus saw. Um, it says that when Jesus saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. How many of y'all of you know what this background is? I don't know if this is still a relevant thing. Just shout it out if you know it. Okay, good. You know what that is. Like when I was a kid, this was a big part of my life. This was a big part of my life. And if you've ever done the Where's Waldo, what they do is they put Waldo in this crowd of people and to where it's almost impossible to find him. And you have to look and you have to look and you have to look amidst all this chaos to find Waldo. And you know what's so interesting is Jesus had thousands of people. And you know when there's thousands of people, that's chaotic. There were like, you know, 80, 90 of us downstairs in the park, and that was chaotic, wasn't it? That was loud. There were so people coming in and out. and you, it, it, Jesus was able to look at these people, and he was able to see their needs. You know, it says that Jesus saw the people, but some, sometimes when it says he saw the people, I wonder what Jesus didn't see. I wonder what he looked over. You know, sometimes we just see people on the outside, but the Scripture says that God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the heart. So Jesus looked, and he saw their hurt, and he saw their pain. Um, I'm going to nerd out on you here for a second. It says that Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them because he realized that they were, it says, harassed and helpless. You see these words over here? Harassed and helpless. Each of these words, um, you know, the Bible, this Bible I have is in English, and your Bible is in English, but when um, Matthew wrote an account of what Jesus did, he wrote it in Greek. So we have some really smart people that have translated the Greek Bible the Greek New Testament, into English. Well, the two words that they translated, harassed and helpless, when you look, at, look them up in like the original language that was written, it really helps us understand what it means. The, the word that we have that's translated into harassed, um, I wrote it down because I was afraid I would not be able to pronounce it right. I'm really not good at pronouncing these. It's skilo. What this word means is it's the same word that the, the Greeks used to describe when a fish was filleted or when something was stabbed so much that it became maimed, or when a body was broken. So if you've ever filleted a fish, you know it's not exactly a pretty sight, right? Anybody ever, ever, anybody ever caught a fish and cleaned it themselves? Yeah, not a pretty sight. So what the, it says, Jesus, you don't, you don't see that on the outside, do you? People don't wear a shirt that says, I'm broken, Right? 
You'd never wear that. You're just going to wear a shirt, a $50 shirt that has a whale on it, right? Um, so, uh, but it says that you, so they were, he had compassion on them. He saw that they were broken. And then this word that's translated helpless, um, the word is ripto. And what this word means, it, they kind of got it right, but it, it would be better if you kind of turned it around and made it said they were harassed or broken and without help. This word ripto means to cast to throw away indiscriminately. Have you ever picked up something and then you realized it was super gross? And accidentally picked up somebody's retainer one time? A long time ago, cleaning the park. Somebody left their retainer in the park. And I didn't realize what it was. So I picked it up and I looked at it and it's like, so you know what I did, right? I didn't just set it down. I was like, you know, I, I threw it out. This word that is translated into helpless ripto means to indiscriminately throw something away. So it says, because they were broken and they were cast away. No, they, they needed help, and there was nobody to help them. Jesus had that spiritual vision to be able to look at people and to be able to look past, you know, look past the, the, the nice clothes and look past you know, the, the bragging on Instagram and to be able to look past the confident demeanor that everybody portrays when they're in front of people. And he was able to see the fact that each of those people, there was some hurt inside them. There was some hurt inside them. Um, when I think of this word, outcast or helpless, that nobody else will help, I was running at Barbersville Park uh, Tuesday, and I was running by the trains there, and there was this one train that was parked, and then there was this other train that was like passing it. I think, is the video in there, Jeff? Can you play that video? I just want to show you. I, took, I stopped running. I took a video of it. Um, and it got me thinking. If you can just keep it on that slide. Oh, um, yeah, it got me thinking. A lot of people feel like this train right here and that the whole world is passing by them and nobody even cares and nobody even notices. Jesus noticed when he looked at the crowd. Jesus noticed. If we want to love our neighbor, we have to look past the show tunes at 1 a.m. We have to see a guy who has no relationship with his father. If we want to reach out to our neighbor, we have to look past the fact that that girl is just posting anything she can to get as many likes as she can, show as much skin as she can to get as many likes as she can, and look inside and see the hurt that's going on in her life. We have to have the vision of God. We have to have the vision of Jesus and see people the way Jesus saw them. If I love my neighbor, I need to feel the way Jesus felt. Okay, so I want everybody to raise your hand if you promise to deal with this maturely. Everybody raise your hand if you promise, because we're going to talk about bathroom stuff, okay? <laughs> I was telling April tonight, I was like, tonight I get to talk about poop, because it's in the Bible. Um, no, so, so this word, okay, let's read this verse again. It says, when Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This word that we get translated for compassion, some of you have uh, I've, gone, I've walked through this before with you, this word that is translated into compassion, other versions of the Bible, maybe your, your text, your version of the Bible translation said that Jesus was moved with compassion. Anybody's Bible say that? He was moved with compassion. Well, this word for he had compassion that makes this phrase, the word is splagnitsumai. 
Say this. Anybody remember how to say that? Try to say it. Splagnitsumai. Yeah, it sounds more German than it does Greek. You know, I could just say, oh, Splagnitsumai, you know. <laughs> Let's go to the Bonhoeff, you know. But, um, but um, this word Splagnitsumai, okay, you ready? This is, this is what it means. I'm going to read the Strong's Concordance definition so you trust me. This is what it means. It means to have the bowels yearn figuratively, to have sympathy, pity, and be moved with compassion. Okay, you know how, you know, girls, when you see that guy that you like, you say your heart skipped a beat, your heart leaped out of your chest. Did your heart really leap out of your chest? No, that would be what we call a medical emergency. Did your heart skip a beat? I hope you didn't have an arrhythmia. You know, we need to take you to the ER. In the Middle East, Middle Eastern people believed that the bowels were the seat of emotions. So that if you know, so that if, if you were with your wife and you're saying, honey, my bowels just move for you, that would be like saying, baby, you make my heart skip a beat. Okay? So, but here's why here's why they Here's why they use that term. It's because, not to get too graphic, but in the human body, the lowest vital organ in your body are the bowels. And to say that your bowels move with compassion means from the deepest part within you, you felt compassion and mercy and pity towards someone. So when Jesus saw these people who were broken and who had nobody to take care of him and nobody to help him, this thing welled up, this compassion welled up from the deepest part of his soul to where he was just struck with the need that these people had for God. So when was the last time, instead of looking at, us, looking at people with a judgmental attitude, you looked and said, oh my goodness, that person needs Jesus. Not the, you need Jesus, girlfriend. Not that kind of you need Jesus. Because that, that's prideful, and that's arrogant, and that's antagonistic. But the, where your heart, you know, we don't do bowels anymore. We do hearts. So where your heart was just broken because you see that person, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They don't know what they need, and they don't know how to get what they don't know what they need, but they're trying everything in the book. They're going out with loser guys and loser girls. They're hanging out with the wrong people. They're making the wrong decisions just in hope they feel something or they find something. And you look at me and you're like, oh my goodness, I need to introduce them to Jesus. When's the last time you felt that way when you saw somebody, when you saw your neighbor that was broken and in need? I love my neighbor when I feel what Jesus felt. And finally, I love my neighbor when I do what Jesus did. What was Jesus' response to this? Well, what Jesus was doing to meet these people's needs, you look at it in verse 35. It said he did three things. It says that he went through the towns and villages teaching in their synagogue. So teaching is dealing with like facts and figures. You know, people need to know about Jesus. And you don't just know, you know some, some people say, well, if we just love them like Jesus, they'll get the gospel. Well, kind of, but no, because you know, they need to actually hear who Jesus was. They need to know that they have a creator and it was God and that, and that God sent Jesus to redeem them. They need to know that and they need to hear that. Um, you know, there is, a, there is a time to, debate is such a strong word now, but there is a time to let people know what you believe and to tell people the truth from God's word and love. It says he was teaching in the synagogues, and then it said that he was procre- proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. 
Um, no, I don't know that anybody's ever become a Christian because somebody debated them into heaven. People become a Christian, people believe in Jesus when they hear the gospel, they hear about Jesus, and they put their faith in him. So ultimately, we need to lead them to Jesus, not our political points of view, not our, uh, you know, not our, you know, not our interpretation on this particular thing. People need Jesus. Until they put their faith in Jesus, the other things that they believe and the other things that they participate in will not change. We don't change people. Jesus changes people, so we need to present them with his gospel. And then finally it said um, that he was healing, healing every disease and sickness. Um, that was a gift that was specific to Jesus, and he gave to his apostles, and that's not specific to us now. But um, what Jesus was doing was he was meeting people's physical immediate needs. There are, some, there are some people, the best thing you can do to win them to Christ and the best way you can reach them is to get them some food because they're hungry. Um, sometimes some people, you know what they need? They just need a hug. I'm going to give you a hug, bro. Just need a hug. Make sure they're okay with you hugging them before you hug them, by the way. Because uh, <laughs> that's not cool. Some people just need a hug. People don't know. Hold on, let's back that up. It's said like this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you really want to reach your neighbor, you're going to have to show them how much you care. If you really want to reach the people that are in your life, you've got to show them how much you care. I love my neighbor when I do what Jesus did. i got this picture here. This is a girl that's trying to mimic what her dad does. Um, when I work on stuff in the house and I get my drill out, I get my hammer out and stuff, Addison has these like plastic drills and hammers. So when she sees me going for my tools, she books it in the tour room. She gets her tools. She's like, Daddy, got my drill, got my hammer. She sticks her hammer in her pants, you know, because she wants to do what I'm doing. As sons and daughters of God, we should want to do what he's doing. And you know what Jesus said his mission was? He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, he ends by saying, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how many teens there are that are still unreached just in our area? Anybody remember the number? Well, 95%, yeah, 19,991 teenagers we still have yet to reach. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What does Jesus say? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So the final thing that we need to do is we need to pray. We need to pray for workers. The interesting thing is the disciples prayed that prayer, and you see what happens in chapter 10. Jesus said, ha, ha, guess who the workers are? You guys. <laughs> and he sent them out two by two. Um, so here, what's going to start happening is as you start praying, you start seeing people that are in need, you start, start praying, God, will you send somebody to reach them? Nine times out of ten, you know who God sends to reach them? Because you're, they're already in close proximity to that person. It's you. So who's your neighbor? And what are you going to do to reach them? Um, after I pray, we're going to split into our tag groups and a couple of the questions that you guys are going to talk about are, who are your neighbors, and how are you going to reach them with the good news of Jesus? We have some great opportunities coming up, guys. The football team's coming tomorrow. 80 football players are going to get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, going to proclaim the good news, and we're going to not heal them, but we're going to feed them spaghetti to show them how much we care. So... If you don't have anything going on, if you do have something going on, try to cancel it and come so that you can be a part of this because we need workers in God's harvest field. Then on Monday, on Monday, we're firing up the old ghetto church vans and we're going to go out 
and we're going to seek and save that which was lost. Um, so I pray that you'll join us with that. So let's all pray together, and then we're going to split into tag. Um, Father, I pray that you'll move our hearts for people that have not yet been reached. Um, there are people in our family, there are people in our school and on our teams, um, people where we work, um, that if they don't hear about Jesus and if they don't, if they don't put their faith in, in you, um, they're going to die and go to a godless, Christless hell. Um, God, I pray that we'll be so aware of that. Um, I pray that if need be, we'll lose sleep over that. I pray that it'll change um, the way that we live because our time is short and the harvest is very, very, very big. So God, I pray that you use each teenager in here as a worker in your harvest field. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.